Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Uh, Mark chapter four, we're going to begin in verse number one. I have to talk really, really fast and cut out quite a bit. And so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and get into God's word with you. Mark chapter four, verse one. Let's stand as we read God's word. And so grateful to have you this morning, especially uh, if this is your first time with us. Mark chapter four and verse one. The Holy Spirit says through John Mark. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? You may be seated. How many of you like a good story? <laughs> we, we like good stories as humans. We're drawn to stories. We, we read books. We listen to podcasts. We go to the movies. We binge watch shows. Often we are looking for a good story. It's what Granny would say when she would watch her soaps. She said, honey, I'm watching a good story. <clears throat> Our earliest memories are linked to stories that were told as kids. The Little Red Riding Hood, uh, Three Little Pigs, The Little Engine That Could. Uh, the stories that we hear as, as kids shape us, they teach us, they inform us, and they change us. We are storytelling people, and we are story-consuming people. And yet the greatest story that the world has ever been told is the story of Jesus Christ. It's not a fable or a, a fictitious fairy tale. It is the true story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and in all parts of the world that may, maybe are necessarily literate, that do not have a written language, there are, are missionary workers who go to remote places and they share the gospel. And, and they don't share the gospel maybe as we would share them. They share the gospel through stories. And so recently uh, I was talking to a good 
good friend of mine in the Horn of Africa, and he told me about some of our workers who were in a remote village doing medical work. And, and in this remote village, uh, they were able to share the gospel through Bible stories. And so one lady came, she had a sickness, she came to the doctor to get some medicine, and they were able to help this lady out. And at the end, they told her a story, a Bible story. And she was so excited that the next day she brought her daughter, uh, who didn't have a medical issue with her, just so that they could hear, her and her daughter could hear the, the Bible story. Then the next day, the, grand, the daughter took and got her grandmother, all three of these women living in the same household, to come and hear these stories. And they came day after day after day to hear these Bible stories. And in about a week's time, all three, both the grandmother, mother, and granddaughter, became believers. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And those three women, so inspired by their new faith, are even to this day going from village to village in remote places in a very remote country, sharing the stories of Jesus, and many are becoming believers in Jesus Christ through the stories. There is power in the story of the gospel. And so that's what we've been unpacking these few weeks as we've gone through the book of Mark. We are seeing the story of Jesus. And as we have gone through the book of Mark, it has been a nonstop action thriller. And yet now in chapter four, Mark kind of slows down to give us a glimpse into the preaching ministry of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just come to do stuff. He came to say stuff. He didn't just come to do miracles. He came to preach the gospel. And as Jesus preached the gospels, he told stories. Just as a preacher would, as I teach, I often tell you stories. So Jesus, to illustrate and illuminate what the kingdom of God is like, what God is like, his grace and his power, he told stories. And so even people that are secular know Jesus's stories. They know the story of the Good Samaritan. We actually have laws in our country called the Good Samaritan Laws. We, people know the story of the good, uh, the, uh, the prodigal son. And, and, and these stories stick to us. It's amazing. I, I feel like I can preach my best sermon and the only thing that anyone remembers is some goofy story that I tell. But that's okay. At least you listened that time. But here, one of the most memorable stories that maybe you've heard a lot is this story I just told you, which is a story about a farmer, seed, and soils. It's so important to Jesus that and, the, and God is it's found in three of the four gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and, and here's what I hope we get. I, what we see in the story of the seed and the soils is a picture of the power of the gospel and how Jesus builds his kingdom here on earth. And so let's kind of unpack that. This is a story that tells us the picture of the God, the power of the gospel, and how Jesus came to build his kingdom. And so number one, I want you to see the purpose of the story, the purpose of parables. Verses one and two, Jesus had so many people outside of Peter's house that he goes outside and, and teaches. And, and there was no amplification or very limited amplification in Peter's house. And so Jesus is now on a boat. Now, not necessarily is there a chronological order from chapter three to chapter four, but yet Jesus, to deal with the crowd, uh, gets on maybe Peter's boat or somebody's boat just a little way out, and the crowd would stay on the shore and there would be a natural amplification. And so Jesus was teaching and the, the Bible says that he taught them many things in parables. Parables were not a contraption that Jesus invented in his teaching ministry. They were things that the rabbis were using, uh, teaching deep spiritual truths. And so what we do know is that Jesus's common practice in teaching and preaching was to tell parables, to tell stories. And, and, and these are important uh, to Jesus and should be important to us. 35% of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are parables. 
And so what is a parable? I'm so glad you asked. Well, at the most basic level, uh, Dr. Al Mohler in his new book, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, says that a parable is a comparison story that helps the listeners move from a familiar reality to a deeper understanding of an important truth. And so um, it can be a practical story that illustrates spiritual truth or just how I was learned, how I was taught it in Sunday school is that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so they're, they're not fables with moral, just fables with moral messages. They're stories with spiritual truth. And so in the first century, the rabbis used parables and those parables would be centered around kings and around royal courts. Uh, but Jesus's parables, for the most part, were about common, ordinary life of normal people. Why? So that the normal people, the non-royals, could comprehend and kind of understand. And so if Jesus were alive today, uh, physically here, he's still alive, but if he were here today and he were to tell us a parable, well, they would be parables about being stuck in traffic in Naples in season. You know, or they would be, you know, a parable of the lost uh, donut at Dunkin' Donuts, or there would be the, the parable of the guy who went to Chick-fil-A. I mean, all these things we can relate. And maybe we would have a miracle at Chick-fil-A where Jesus turned water into milkshakes. You never know. <laughs> but they, these stories would be ordinary stories so that ordinary people could relate to them. And so this story being in an, in an agrarian culture, a farming culture, like how many of you are farmers in the room? Yeah, like two or three, five of you, right? So it doesn't necessarily relate to us, but in Jesus's day, Everybody understood farming. And so he says that there was a sower that went out to sow. And so maybe even while Jesus was telling this parable, because this wasn't the only time, Jesus told this probably many times, uh, they might have watched a farmer that was doing this very act. And so as we're reading this in our Western eyes, it looks like the farmer is not very good. He's kind of haphazard. He's throwing seed here and throwing seed there. But, but what we know in first century farming is that they often walked along a path and they would throw seed on the soil. And in Jesus's day, broad seed sowing was considered the best way of farming. And so you have this farmer they're relating, oh, farmer, oh, we get that. And this guy was scattering seeds, and Jesus says on four different soils. And so there was a hard soil, a shallow soil, a thorny soil, and then a good soil. And so in time, uh, the seed uh, took root and bore fruit in only one of the four soils. And so the guy was like 25% successful. The other soils, basically the seed withered or died or was wasted away. And so the interesting part though, and what I think made them believe that broad seed sowing was good, is that at least one out of four was successful. But Jesus in this story changes some of the mindset because he says that this soil produced 30, 60, 100 fold. And so for one seed, you got 30 times that, 60 times that, 100 times that. And you say, well, that's great. But in Jesus' day, it would have been unheard of because a successful seed in Jesus' day produced eight times. And so that's significant. And so Jesus tells this story, and I can tell that you all have heard this story maybe before. And so when the story is over with, Jesus is with his disciples in verse 10. He's alone. And the, the 12, that's what Matthew says, the 12 ask him about the parable. So there we have this scene change. Jesus is no longer on the boat speaking to the crowds. He's now alone with his disciples inside the house. And they had questions. Now, they weren't looking for a daily farming report. They were looking for Jesus to tell them something. They were looking for Jesus to tell them what God's plan is for their life and what God's purpose is for their life and the world around them. And so they basically asked Jesus, all right, we heard that story, but what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't really understand. And so verse 11, Jesus says, well, to you, 
Uh, you've been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. To the outsider, to everyone else, these are just stories. But to you who are believers, you are inside the kingdom. They are profound truths of how God is working and, and what he is doing to bring and build his kingdom on earth. And this is a theme that we find now in the book of Mark that has been shifted where we have those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside of God's kingdom. And here's the, the wild thing is that the people that you would think would be inside God's kingdom are actually outside of God's kingdom, the religious, the pious, the spiritual elites. And those that you would think would be on the outside, tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes were actually on the inside. And so it's an upside down kingdom. And so Jesus then says, hey, for everyone outside, even those the religious people, this doesn't make sense. It just is funny stories or stories. But to you, this is something powerful. And so Jesus then quotes in verse number 12, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, when, he, when this is after Isaiah has just had this vision of God and he says, here, my Lord, send me. And then basically God says, I'm going to send you out, but nobody's going to listen. And sometimes it's, you know, I can relate. So he says, people are going to see, but they're not going to see. They're going to hear, but not they're going to understand. And so he's saying here that what you got in this parable is telling you about people. It's telling you about their receptivity to the gospel. All four soils receive the word, but only one of those four soils sees the word, perceives the word, hears the word, and understands the word. Only one out of the four turns from their sins and turns to Jesus, turns to God. And so what Jesus is teaching is this, and this is why this is important for the missions conference, is that Jesus is teaching us the nature of Christian evangelism, missions, and how his kingdom comes. And here's what it is. It's real simple. Basically, what Jesus is saying is this. There will be many who will reject the gospel, and that, but there will be some who will receive the gospel. There will be many who will reject, but there will be some who will receive. The gospel is either going to open hearts to receive eternal life and forgiveness, or it's going to make people angry and indifferent. The same sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay, as the Puritans would say. And so that's the purpose of this story. And so now we're going to dive deeper in the picture of the soils. And so what he's telling us, we didn't read this, but in verse 15, Jesus is now going to give an explanation, actually starting in verse 14, about the sower. The sower sows the word. And then verse 15, and these are the ones. And so he's going to now explain what each one of these four soils represents. And what each one of these four soils represents is a, the condition of a person's heart. Now, scholars would say, well, what Jesus is also doing here is showing you the four different responses that Jesus has received in his ministry so far. And so the first, the first soil he brings in is those that are along the path. These are the skepticals skeptical people. These are the hard ground. And so in Jesus' days, you were farming. Uh, there would be pathways in the field, uh, and uh, the farmer would walk on those pathways. Either they were stone pathways or they were compacted dirt, and uh, they would throw seed from side to side to side. And sometimes, as they were throwing it from side to side, some of the seed would fall on the pathway. And because it was hard, the seed could not penetrate the soil, couldn't penetrate in. And so it became bird food. And so Jesus is saying, that's a picture of a hardened heart. You ever shared Jesus with somebody and they just, they're like, they don't get it. Like they don't want to hear it. They actually are like mad you tell them about them. You know, I never forget one time. <laughs> well, I won't tell you that one time. It wasn't good. <laughs> I'll never forget one time I was going to somebody's house in Kentucky 
and I was, I was just, just going door to door and I knocked on this guy's door and said, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the pastor of uh, the church down the road here. And we're just here sharing the love of Jesus and trying to uh, make sure that uh, people know where they're going when they die. And he says, oh, I know where I'm going. And I said, where? He said, hell. And I said, well, you don't have to. And he says, well, I want to, and I hope you go there too. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. That guy was on a highway to hell, all right? And so have you ever met somebody? And they're influenced by the enemy. And the issue is not an intelligence issue. It's an unwillingness to believe issue. It's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. And like, maybe some of you are that way. Maybe you're like, you know what, pastor? I don't really, I'm just here. I just showed up. I don't really care about this Jesus thing. I'm just kind of glad to be here. To, it's air conditioning, whatever. And some of you, you know, you've had experiences where people have been actively aggressive towards anyone who believes. And, and some of you that are, those of you that are believers in the room, you're like, well, how can anybody be this way? How can they be so hard hearted over the gospel that has changed my life? And about the best way I can illustrate that is think about a telemarketer. You ever had a telemarketer call you? I think they always call you at dinner, right? The other night, they called me like 10 o'clock at night. And don't they know I go to sleep at 9.30? <laughs> anyway, how, how we respond to a, a telemarketer, often, you know, like you have that four-second pause, and then you kind of know you're about to get something you don't really want. And so they're trying to sell you something. And so there's some of you that are really spiritual. You'll listen to the whole thing, and then you'll say, I'm not interested. Some of you will hang up, Right? Some of you will have fun with them, right? <laughs> you know, is John there? No, he's dead. <laughs> well, is his wife there? No, she's dead. Who are you? I killed them both. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. <laughs> Don't use that one, all right? <laughs> but why, 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 this is a horrible sermon. Anyway, why, <laughs> why, why in the world would, why in the world would you, uh, be that way to talk because you're not interested in what they're selling. And that's the truth of a lot of people. When we share that, they're not interested. When we share the good news of the gospel, it doesn't, they don't want it. Why is that? Well, there's some reasons. Their heart's been hardened. Well, some of it's suffering. Some of them have gone through so much suffering in their life or they've witnessed suffering. They've been abuse uh, victims or they, they've gone through horrible things and, and they just question the very existence of God and they're so hardened to God. They don't really care about God. And some of it's sin. Is it that they, they believe that Christianity is all about do's and don'ts and there's something that they believe in and there's something that they are living in a certain lifestyle. And so they don't wanna believe in God because that that's, is just against who they are as a person, against their identity. Or some of it's science, that they just don't believe in the supernatural. You know, Jodie Foster, she's an actress, an ardent atheist. She, she said this, she said, how could you ask me to believe in God when there's absolutely no evidence that I can see? Again, seeing but doesn't see. She said, I do believe in the beauty and the awe-inspiring mystery of science that's out there that hasn't been discovered yet, but I'm sure that there are scientific explanations for phenomena that we call mystical because we just don't know any better. So she's saying, well, you, you, you Christians, you're, you know, you're so dumb. You're so anti-intellectual. Uh, and that's what we're going to see in an increasingly secular age. The hostility to the gospel is growing. And so the heart is hardened and the, the devil's dirty birds come in and, and snatch the gospel away. And that's what Satan does is Satan doesn't want it to have even a chance. It takes the word away. 
Now, on another level, I, I believe, even if you're a Christian or not, that's what Satan wants to do in your life, is he wants to, as soon as you hear the word, he wants to snatch it away. And so he causes all these things in your life, uh, right after, often after church, that, that cause the word of God to just be forgotten. I mean, I think that that may be the reason why the NFL is played on Sundays, <laughs> is so that as soon as we get out of church, we uh, bow down to the altar of football. Um, I don't know. Could be food, something else. But Satan wants to take the word away. So that's the, that's the skeptical. But then the second type of heart, as he talks about, is the superficial. And this is on the shallow soil. The soil in Israel had a layer of limestone underneath the soil. And so the seed would go into that topsoil, and it would start to absorb the heat of the sun and the warmth of the soil, and it would grow very quickly. And, and yet, because of the limestone rock, it couldn't get any roots. And so when the sun came and scorched the plant, it would just wither away. It grew up quick and quickly green and then quickly gone. And that's how he describes the heart of those who they receive the word of God with joy. There are people who hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. They pray a prayer. They walk an aisle. They might even get baptized. They may come to church for a season, but, but then you can't find them. I mean, they're here for a few weeks and then, the, I mean, no one can, the FBI can't even find them. Why? Because something happened in their life. They either went through persecution for the word or they went through some sort of trouble in their life. And the reason why they left is because they had no roots. See, what I believe is that a lot of, some people respond to a feeling more than they actually respond to faith. And so when the feeling is gone, so is the faith. George Whitfield, uh, who was a preacher a few years ago, uh, preached to thousands of people, and sp thousands of people would come and hear George Whitfield preach, and they would come and ask him, well, how many people were saved? And George Whitfield will say, he would say, well, we'll see in a few years, because um, we don't know. Because what happens when the going gets tough, the nominal, superficial country music Christians take off. You know, many people will follow Jesus as long as they're healthy and comfortable and problem-free, but when their faith arises to a crisis or it costs them something that they don't want to pay, they take off. I mean, the rich young ruler, I mean, he looked the part, he dressed the part, he lived the part, but when Jesus says, hey, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, not that that's the way to get saved, but that's just showing that Jesus is Lord of your life. Well, he took off. Like, he couldn't do it. So you may have some warm, fuzzy faith, but if that faith... Does it endure? Well, was it really faith? Adrian Rogers said this. He says, the faith that fizzles in the finished wasn't real at the start. See, I believe the Bible teaches that if you are truly saved, born again, spirit-filled, you are always saved, but the proof that you are actually saved is going to be seen in your continuance in the faith. So Jesus says that there are the skeptics, there are the superficial, there are the distracted, the sidetracked, those that are sown among the thorns. This is seed that is thrown uh, into a place where there are weeds. And those weeds have been there for a while. And, and those weeds uh, have, have deeper roots. And so this new plant who has shallow roots is competing with the same space with these uh, weeds that have been there for a while. And those weeds suck the life out of that new plant and it withers and it dies. And Jesus says that this is the seed that's sown into a heart full of weeds. And what are these weeds? Well, the cares of the world. The daily grind, paying the bills, living life, friends, relationships, athletics, all these other things, the busyness of life, things that gradually suck life from you. Corey Tim Boone said, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. 
and they consume the deceitfulness of riches. People got their mind on their money and their money on their mind, and they take their eyes off of Jesus and can be consumed with more and more and more. And if anything, this storm has taught us, you can have all kinds of money, all kinds of possessions, all kinds of wealth, and in a moment it can be gone. See, there's a lie that says that living for Jesus means giving up something. There's a lie that says that living for Jesus means that giving up something better or something greater, but whatever you give up for following Jesus is not better than what you get in Jesus. I think the weeds in our culture are the American dream. And they're the greatest spiritual threat we face in, in our world is the dream of just having it all and being it all and doing it all. And those thorny weeds choke you out, but they don't do it suddenly. They do it gradually. And it divides your heart and you fall away. But then the fourth soil is the successful soil. And that is that it fell on the good soil. This is fertile ground. The person hears and accepts the word and bears fruit. And, and, and this fruit is, is really a miracle. It's a miracle fruit because it produces 30, 60, 100 times. And so those who hear and accept the seed receive a miracle of new life that can only be explained by the power of God working in their lives. And they bear fruit that they could not do on their own. And so that's what Jesus is saying. That's how the kingdom is like. There will be many who will reject, but there will be some who will believe the gospel. And you will know that by the fruit that they bear and by the exponential, miraculous, supernatural change in their life. So most of you maybe have heard this sermon before or heard this story before. And so you could probably get up here and probably say, you know, I could have done that a little bit better. But here's the main point. The main point is not the soils. The point is about the seed. It's the power of the seed. See, the climax of the story is that the seed explodes into miraculous growth, producing a supernatural harvest. So the moral of this story isn't the power of the soil. The, the moral of the story is the power of the seed. See, the soil is not good because the person is good. The soil is not bad because the person is bad. The soil is only good because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit working through the seed. And so a small seed can have a huge harvest. And Jesus is saying the harvest is a picture of the kingdom of God. It comes through the power of a seed. Stay with me. So what's the seed? Well, verse 14 says the seed is the word. The word here is the Greek word logos, which is found 24 times in Mark's gospel. And it doesn't refer to the scriptures, the Bible at, at, at large, but it responds and, and corresponds to the gospel. And so he's saying here that the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, has life-giving power. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is not just information, but it's news that leads to transformation. And the power of the gospel is so potent that it can release supernatural power in and through your life and take you from death to life, from hell to heaven, from, light, from darkness to light. It's the only thing that can do that. Like if you were to put a piece of metal or stone and put it in the ground and water it, what would happen? Nothing. <laughs> Why? Because stone and metal do not have the power to bring life. But if you take a tomato seed or if you take a green bean seed, if you, you take a seed and you put it in the soil and you water it, it will grow. Why? Because there's life in the seed. 
But here's the interesting thing. The power of the seed is released the deeper it goes. See, the first three soils had the same problem. The seed wasn't going deep enough in the soil. And so the only way the seed could actually take root and bear fruit is it had to go deep into the soil. And the only way that the gospel seed can change your life is it has to go deep inside of your life. It can't just be shallow. It it can't just be an add-on. It has to come into the depths of who you are. And how does that happen? How does the gospel come deep into who you are? Well, we see the key to that in how Jesus begins the parable and how he ends the parable. In verse three, he begins the parable with the word, listen. In verse nine, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. The word hear and the word listen are the same Greek word, akuo. We get our word acoustics from it. Listen, hear. What listening means is it means that you hear with the intent of responding and obeying. Now, let me just tell you something right now. You can hear without listening. That explains a lot of marriages, right? I didn't, I didn't hear what you said, honey. No, you heard me. You just didn't listen, right? It explains parenting, right? You heard me, but you didn't listen to me, boy. But listening means life. And the only way you become fruitful is you have to take the gospel deep within and listen with the intent of responding and obeying, thinking and applying and obeying it. It's not just something you just come and do. It's something that comes inside of you. It's not just something that happens on the outside. It's something that happens on the inside. And those of you that are saved, you know the difference. See, real salvation is not reformation. Real salvation is transformation from the inside out. And that's the biggest difference because there's a lot of superficial Christians. There are a lot of shallow Christians. There are a lot of people who want to look the part and dress the part, but inside they know they're not the part. And Jesus says, you have to take it deep within. And what we found in the book of Mark is this, is that with Jesus, it's all or nothing. It's either I am Lord of all or I am not Lord at all. And so the power of the seed is only released the deeper it goes. And that's why Christianity and the gospel is not just you believe it and then you're done with it. No, the gospel is everything in Christianity. What Jesus did in his sinless life, what Jesus did in his sacrificial death, and what Jesus did in his triumphant resurrection is the power of God that changes our lives every day. Because of Jesus, I am free from the penalty of sin. Because of Jesus, I am being freed from the power of sin. And because of Jesus, one day I will be completely free from the presence of sin. And in that day, there will be no hurricanes. And there will be no South Carolina Gamecocks. (laughs) He who has ears, let him hear. But here's the last thing about the seed. The seed is only powerful when it dies. It's only powerful in weakness. See, what kept the people in Jesus' day from believing the gospel, when believing the story of Jesus, is because they only had one view of how God was going to bring his kingdom. See, they, they had a view that God was going to send some mighty military leader. And this great and mighty military leader was going to make Israel great again. He was going to overthrow Roman tyranny, was going to set up a kingdom, and was going to be shocking all. 
But Jesus says, no, it's not going to happen that way. The kingdom is going to come like a farmer scattering seed from side to side. It's not very exciting. I mean, how many of you watch TV shows about farmers farming? Put you to sleep. It's like watching paint dry. It's not exciting. But the kingdom doesn't always come in shock and awe. It doesn't come by leaps and bounds. It often comes through ups and downs. It comes through the little by little. And that's what he's saying here is that even though it's not what you think it should be, it's bigger than you can imagine. But the seed can only release its life-giving power when it comes into the ground and dies. Does that sound familiar? For power to come, something has to die. Jesus, before he went into Jerusalem on his way to the cross, said this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about the seed. See, that's what Jesus came and did for us. Do you know that the first prophecy about Jesus in Genesis chapter 315 calls Jesus the seed of a woman? When John's describing Jesus, he's described as the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. The seed is the Word. The seed is the Word. You catching this? Jesus came as the Word and the seed. And to save us, he had to die for us. He had to come and die and be buried. And it's through his death, power is released. And it's through his resurrection that life is released. And that's what we see here. The power of the seed is in the seed. It's in Jesus. He has power. So here's how we end with this. It doesn't matter how hard your heart is. It doesn't matter how messed up your life is. It doesn't matter how bad you've sinned or how you see yourself in the mirror. The gospel of Jesus has the power to crack through the toughest and hardest of grounds. God can change your heart. And the reason that Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter six is I think he also connects Isaiah to this story through the promise of God concerning the seed. And here's a promise of God concerning the seed in Isaiah 55. And here's what, here's what Isaiah prophesied. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, make, making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent. There will be many who will reject the gospel, but there will be some who will believe the gospel. And my prayer is that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, that today would be the day that the gospel changes you from the inside out. And I believe he can do it. Let me end with this. I want to teach you, and I'm probably going to butcher it, three words in the Devahi language. Okay? First word, 
Bapa. Say Bapa. Bapa. All right. Second word, Farhin Dafarnu. Farhin Dafarnu. Third word, Karithi Ruhu. Karithi Ruhu. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The nation, there's a nation in South Asia that has been historically isolated. And we've not been able to get any of our workers in that country for years. It's actually up in, until 2004 where we're able to actually put some of our missionaries into this country because the, a tsunami came in 2004 and totally devastated the islands and they allowed people to come in. The island that I'm speaking about is 100% Muslim. Anyone who shares the gospel in that country is deported, imprisoned, or killed. Since 2004, we've sent a few of our missionary workers in there, and many of, all of them have been deported. Recently, a family, a few years ago, moved there, opened up a, a place as a platform to share the gospel. They were there for four years, and because of just isolation, they left the country. But for those four years, they sowed the gospel seeds. And so there's a video here I want you to see. And this video on this island where there's hatred and hostility to the gospel, where people, if you convert to Christianity, you will be killed, tortured, imprisoned, sent away. What you're about to witness is the first baptism in the Indian Ocean that we've been able to record of someone from this country. And they're going to say, Bapa, Farandafunu, Karithi, Ruhai, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here you go. They're going to show it right here. And there he is. He was baptized. Amen. But he's, he's just one of many. There are others in this island nation because of those gospel seeds were sown in what seems to be impossible places. It cannot defeat the power of the gospel. So here's my questions. Have you received the gospel in your life? Is it real? Do you know that you know that you know you're right with God? And are, have, has the gospel changed your life? And if it hasn't, today's the day that you can give your life to Jesus. You can surrender your heart to him. You can give him everything. And if you have given him everything, then will you see that you're on mission for him and that many will reject you, but there will be, there will be those who accept and believe the gospel. And here's what I know. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Would you be willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. I'll go. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would encourage you to give your life to him. If you have followed Christ, but you've never taken that next step of baptism, today, this afternoon, from five to seven, we're going to have a big baptism celebration. You can take that step. If, if that man could go into the Indian Ocean, 
where if he walks back on shore, if people found this out, could be killed because of Jesus. Surely, goodness and mercy, you can take a next step in being baptized for Jesus. Whatever your issues are, we want to help you. So I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, I'm asking God to save. I'm asking God to move. Would you pray with me? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can trust him just as you are, just where you are. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that as the gospel seed has been sown today of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that the, those that are hurting will find hope and those that have lost their joy will find Jesus today. The greatest treasure is before them. And Father, today, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as Savior, would right now they pray a prayer like this. If you're here and you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, you can pray a prayer like this with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I have been living for myself. My heart has been hardened towards you. But today I believe that you are who you say you are. That you died on the cross for me. That you rose from the dead for me. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me, Jesus. In your name I pray. Father, I pray for those who may have trusted you as their Savior today, that they would make it public and make it known. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing from the inside out. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.